Welcome and thank you for joining us for the Church by the Glades podcast. If you would like more information about Church by the Glades, including service times and directions, visit cbglades.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. When he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. John, 
chapter 11. What is up, CBG? Oh, it's good to see you. Thank you for being here today. Uh, that is one of my favorite, favorite miracle stories in all the Bible. I posted on my Instagram, I invite you to share if you have a favorite story or favorite miracle in the Bible. You guys had great responses, by the way. Thank you for joining that online conversation. Uh, a lot of you guys picked feeding the 5,000 because evidently you were hungry and you liked that one. Uh, I was surprised, <laughs> no, I wasn't surprised. Uh, a lot of y'all picked turning the water into wine. That's all you gotta know about this church right there. A lot of that was your favorite miracle. All, you know, calming the storm, but uh, that outside the resurrection of Jesus himself is my favorite story. So start the conversation this way. If you're new to our church, I way prefer dialogues to monologues. I like to engage you. If you're watching online on TV, go ahead and interact with us, if you will. So here's the question to jumpstart the conversation today. Uh, not, not bragging, not bragging, all glory to God. In humility, uh, raise your hand at your campus, no matter what campus you're at. You're at Dade CI, Homestead, Lake Worth Beach, uh, Coral Springs, Sawgrass. Raise your hand if you are good with names. Anybody good with names? Anybody good with names? Okay, awesome, good with names. That's a great skill. These people feel so good when they call your name. Uh, who would say, uh, put your hands together and clap if you're not good with names? Not good with names? Yeah, that's a lot of people clapping. I, I should be clapping. I'm not great with names. My predecessor here, Pastor Herschel Creesman, some of y'all remember him back in the day. Herschel was a genius with names. He was so good, his recall. I've tried techniques and stuff. I'm just not that good with names. How about this? Anybody here, you would say this. I'm not good with names, but I'm good with faces. That's some people there. Not good with names, good with faces. Okay, who would say this? I'm good with names, but not good with faces. Nope, don't clap, because that's not a thing. That's not a thing. <laughs> I don't think. I'm actually thinking, is that even a possibility? You can be somehow good with names and not good with faces? I don't think it is. Because a lot of us said this, someone asked you that terrible question, do you even know my name? Do you remember my name? I hate that question, it's always embarrassing. Do you remember my name? And you say something like this in response, you might say, uh, gosh, I'm so sorry. I, I, I don't remember your name, but I reckon, I remember your face, remember your face. You say that. But no one's ever said like, oh yeah, I know your name, but your face confuses me, <laughs> nobody. So look, if I meet you somewhere around town, there's a lot of you guys, I hope I know your name, but I, I might not know your name, so thank you for your understanding and your forgiveness, but here's the good news. The pastor may not know your name, but God knows your name. Someone at work may not know your name, or your teacher may not know your name, or your supervisor may not know your name, but the God of heaven, he made you, he loves you, he knows your name, and it's been my prayer all week long that God would engage you today, no matter where you're watching this in the world or what campus you're at, right there in your seat in a powerful and personal way. I want the God of heaven through sacred scripture and my voice to call your name. Maybe not audibly, but speak to you in a way, but this has your name all over it. So one of my favorite miracles, so we're suggesting what's the best miracle of all time. It is the resurrection of the king. This is my favorite one outside of that. It's John chapter 11. So find your Bible, open your Bible up, turn your Bible on, and we'll be there in just a second. The series is called Undead Iguanas. If you missed the first few weeks, you're kind of confused right now. Uh, it's a reference to a, a phenomenon that happens in the ecosystem of South Florida. We have large lizards. We have iguanas, three, four foot long. Put your hands together if you have an iguana experience. Have you seen one? Had one in your yard, in your porch, around the pool? They're everywhere. 
They're not a native species. They're an invasive species, but they have done well in our environment here, except on the rare days it gets cold. Doesn't get cold here very much, but happens to hit the 50s. We freak out. We don't do cold, but those lizards, those large iguanas, start dropping out of trees. They can't handle the cold, and often they die, but God when he created the iguana, did something so unique in their physiology, in their metabolism, that if it gets cold, but not too cold, they can shut down their body functions. They go into a catatonic state where they seem to be dead, but they're not really dead. And if the environment heats up, they reanimate. And so we've seen that kind of happen before. We've heard stories about that happening. So I thought that'd be a great way to segue into a conversation about the resurrection miracles of the Bible. Now, the resurrection of King Jesus is the pivotal miracle of all the miracles in the scripture. In fact, our faith means nothing if Jesus Christ did not arise from the dead. But I'm telling you this, if you study the historical evidence, it's overwhelming that Jesus Christ throat punched death on the third day just the way the prophets predicted and he promised. Jesus arose from the dead, but that's a big deal. That's not the topic today. It will be in Easter in a few weeks. But I want to study this other resurrection story. There are 10 different resurrection stories in your Bible, three in the Old Testament, seven in the New Testament. But I love John chapter 11. If Doc Brown rolled by in a Back to the Future modified DeLorean and said, Dave, you go back in time for one miracle, this is my miracle. Now, the team did a great job reading that for you before I stood up here. And this is such a long story. It's a 44-verse account of this detailed miracle. I, I can't cover all that in the time we have. So what I want to do instead is just pick out some of the phrases and some of the key words and just think about these together and their implications, what this might mean, this old story might mean for you in a personal way. So let's start with... Um, Verse three, verse three is on the screen right now. Help set up the story on the screen. You read the highlighted words. So it says, so the, oh, let's read that again in just all the ladies, ready? One, two, three, so the, I wanted the sisters to read the sisters. So the sisters, because Christians, we call each other because we're spiritual family, brothers or sisters, but these are biological sisters. And there's two sisters and uh, uh, sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love. Not one of the sisters, they have a brother, is sick. So we got a family. We got two sisters, Mary and Martha. This is not Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is not Mary Magdalene. This is another Mary, and she's a magnificent person. Her sister, Martha, and their brother, Lazarus. Mary, Martha, Lat. We have a family. We have a family. Can I stop for just a moment and talk about family? The first institution that God created was not government or church or universities or charities. It was the family. Genesis 1 and 2, God creates the family. He starts with marriage. What is marriage biblically? I know there's lots of conversation about what a family is in our society, in culture. But in the Bible, marriage is a man and a woman in a covenant relationship for life. That's what the Bible teaches. Now, I know we got some people here in the room who might disagree. and feel like that's not. Listen, I, we respect everybody. It's not my job to judge, and everyone is welcome at Church, at Church by the Glaze, whether you believe like me or don't believe like me. It's, it's a safe place. So it's never our place to judge or condemn. But at the same time, it's my responsibility to teach you the Word of God. And the Bible is very clear on this. So, so God create the, creates the sexes. He creates the genders. He creates the family. It's a man and a woman. Now, there's some people might say, hey, hey, David, wait a minute. I don't care what it says back in Genesis, the Old Testament. I only care what Jesus says. And Jesus never addressed the issue. If someone tells you that, that's just not accurate. They're misinformed. Again, it's not a talk today about family or the definition of family or marriage, but you check out Matthew chapter 19, verse four, 
and Jesus weighs in on this topic with clarity, all right? So the Bible defines family. It's my role to teach you what the Bible says without judgment and in love. But uh, this is a family. Now, it's not your typical family because it's not, it's not a man and a woman. This family here is uh, Mary, Martha, Lat. It's three adult siblings building a home together. When you first look at this family, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, you might go, gosh, there's, there's many things missing in this home. This family has things. They have no parents. The parents have passed away, surely. Uh, they have no spouses. They have no children. Uh, right, they don't have any spouses, any kids, any parents. But you know what's present in that home? Jesus is present in this home. And when you read the account and the rest of the New Testament, uh, their home in Bethany. Bethany is a suburb of Jerusalem. And when Jesus is doing ministry in, in Jerusalem, it's game one, it's ground zero. It's where his, his, uh, his support team is most vocal. It's where his opposition is most vicious. And so he wouldn't spend the night at the Ramada in Jerusalem. He'd go to Bethany, he'd stay the night in the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They literally built a habitation for Jesus. They built a safe place for Jesus. They built a sanctuary in their home for Jesus. I love it. I know they don't have spouses. They are adult, they're adult singles making a difference. I love singles that don't waste that single season. They maximize that for a ministry. So if you're a single adult, you can rock things for God. You can make Jesus the center of your life and your relationships. You should do that. And by the way, if you're a single without kids, you'll never have more discretionary time and money in your whole life. Use it wisely. And so Jesus would stay there. And by the way, they weren't just you know, honoring Jesus in public and in private, they honored Jesus financially. Because when Jesus rolled into town, he didn't come by himself. He brought the 12 disciples. So Mary and Martha and Lazarus are buying groceries for 13 grown men. So here you got a family, listen, where Jesus is welcome in their home. He's honored in their home. He's esteemed in their home. Uh, he's reverenced in their home. He is supported in their home. And yet a tragedy visits this godly home. Something horrible, something terrible. Lazarus goes sick unto death. One thing I love about the Bible is it, it tells you the whole truth. There's some Christians here in the room, kind of immature Christians who like a one-dimensional view of God, that God's just all about blessings and favor and giving out candy to the children. Hey, God is generous and God is good and, and God loves to bless and favor. Jesus said, I've come to have life and have life more abundantly. But at the same time, the Bible also promises God's children suffer sometimes. We go through pain sometimes. We're not immune from that. So here you have this family, uh, two sisters and a brother, and they love God, but something bad happens to them. And it's important that we stop and pause and understand the Bible tells us the whole story. And just because you have faith doesn't mean you won't have pain and that you won't suffer. And I get it, Christians, we love what the praise reports. I wanna hear the testimony about the answered prayer and God providing the miracle. But I need to know what to do when I pray and ask God to show up in my life and he's not there. I wonder what I pray, God, I need your help right now and God does not show up how or when I need him. Can I be that raw with you? Because if somebody, you ask God to invade your circumstances and God was a no-show. So they send word for Jesus, and Jesus does not show up how or when, when. Oh, say the word when, one, two, three, when, when. One of those fascinating things in this fascinating story is God's timing, God's timing. When I say three, shout the word timing at all of our campuses, one, two, three, timing. Put the word timing in the chat if you're watching online, timing, timing. God's timing is so interesting. God's timing is always perfect. But sometimes it don't feel like it's perfect. 
Can I be honest? I know God's timing is precise and perfect and divine and always gets it right, but sometimes to me, it feels like God's time, God's time, God, oh, you're pushing me to do this well before I'm ready. I mean, God, you're, you're nudging me, you're, you're, you're nudging me. I'm, I'm not ready, I'm still doing my research, God, my homework. Like for instance, there's somebody here in this room, this is your day to give yourself by faith at the end of this talk to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and choose baptism. And you're thinking, I'm not ready. And any of you people just clapped at that person right now. Somebody else, they didn't clap, right? I'm not ready. Oh my gosh, I'm not prepared. I'm unworthy. I got issues. All that's true. But the Bible says now is the time. And today is the day of your salvation. You're more ready than you know. But other times I want God to step in my situation and God seems to be late. Where are you, God? I need you now. This is urgent. I need you to step up now. And the clock is tipping. God, where are you? Perfect timing. Y'all understand the concept of perfect timing, right? Perfect timing. Okay, if you're watching online, like nobody said anything. I'll, I'll break it down. I know, it's, it's perfect timing is a collision of events that produce a certain dynamic where if one of those elements of the event happened a little sooner or a little later, like nothing, nothing occurs. That clear? I'll give you a simple example. It's not biblical, it's personal. Uh, did y'all enjoy church last week? Give it up if you were in church in the house. Oh, logged on last week, yes. Uh, I was not here. I cannot clap. I was not here. So make church your holy habit, but it's not legalism. If you got to travel or something. So I wasn't here. The young guns took over. Uh, we had at our four campuses, nine speakers. Only one was over the age of 29 and they did a great job and they were phenomenal. You guys enjoyed last week. Most churches, the young people take over. Church is terrible, but our, our young people are so talented. Uh, thank you guys. Uh, Charlie, Charlie stayed here. Well, I took his brother and his sister and his mama to Disney World last week. I got Disney fans, Disney fans, yeah. Never take your family to Disney on President's Day weekend. That was my takeaway. Oh my gosh, it was so crowded. The lines for every ride was massively long. Food, you couldn't get food, it was terrible. So, you know, every park was crowded. So the last afternoon, we're in Epcot. There's just people everywhere. It's hot and it's wall to wall. And there's four of us, but we can't walk shoulder to shoulder, side by side, because we're trying to work through the crowd. And, and finally, we give up. We're going home. And I'm in Epcot around World Showcase. And yes, I'm a Disney geek. I can name all those nations in order. I won't do it, but I can do that. I can start, I can start with Canada or Mexico and go all the way around World Showcase. So anyways, we're trying to leave. And again, we're so crowded. Lisa's kind of beside me. And the crowd is pushing us towards the left-hand side of this massive walkway against the wall, against the wall. And Lisa didn't have a cold or anything, but all of a sudden, a sudden sneeze comes on my wife out of nowhere, like she, she has to sneeze. And so all the crowds around us and kind of on this side of her, and so she does the proper thing. She has very good sneeze etiquette. So what she does is, what you do, you, you turn your head away from people, right? You put your, nose, your elbow up to your nose. You kind of drop your head's direction a little bit so you're gonna sneeze down, not out, right? Protects the, the snot zone. And Lisa, in a moment, because it happened really fast, like she would, huh, huh, I mean, just out of nowhere, this sneeze. And so she does all that like a sneeze ninja, man. She moves quickly, like turns away from the crowd, puts the elbow up, drops her head. And I thought, great technique. She's protecting all these people. But at the very last second, I mean mid-sneeze, between the uh and chew. <laughs> she turns around, and right there is one guy <laughs> sitting on the ground, right, Zane? With his back against the wall, right? Knees up to his chest. Man, 
as she is sneezing, their eyes meet. His eyes are wide. <laughs> and he's going to get blasted, man. He's in, he's in the sneeze overspray zone completely. And the only thing that makes it worse, in his hands he held a plate of nachos. It happened so fast, but it felt like slow motion. Oh, choo. Lisa is so embarrassed. She goes, oh, I'm so sorry. And then does the Christian thing. She runs through the crowd as fast as she can. She disappears, disappears, disappears in the crowd. And because I'm a godly and compassionate pastor, I laughed my butt off, man. That was so funny. I laughed and Zane, we cracked up. Victoria was dying. And we finally catched Lisa. She goes, did you see what I just did? Do you see I just sneezed all over that poor guy? And it's not, I feel so bad. What, what should I do? I said, well, you, you should probably do the decent thing and go back and apologize and buy his lunch. She goes, I'm not going back. I'm not talking to him. You should go back. I'm like, I didn't sneeze. You sneeze. You should go back. And finally, Victoria volunteered. She was the right choice because she's Victoria. She's cute and she's charming. She went back and we took him $20. So can we please buy you new nachos because my wife just sneezed all over your nachos, right? That, and, but if Lisa would have sneezed like two seconds before or sneezed two seconds after, no issue. But it was the perfect or imperfect timing. It just aligned. God's timing is fascinating. God's timing, when he steps into a situation. So there are a couple of verses that describe God's timing, and it seems, it seems like his timing is wrong. I'm gonna put it on the screen right now, verse five and half of verse six on the screen. It says, ready? Ready, verse five? Ready? There we go. Jesus loved Martha and her sister. And I wanna just highlight that, because Jesus did all kinds of miracles for people he didn't even know. Like random people, he's just meeting them. Like first time they meet, they know the name. Boom, he heals them, whatever. He knew them well. He'd been in their home. He'd ate at their table, right? Spent the night there in the guest suite, right? He, he, so he loved them. He knew the intimacy relationship. He loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was and he's not a little sick, he's a lot sick. He's not just a sniffle. He's sick unto death. Now, I've stopped there mid-verse and pretend like you've never heard this story. You've never heard this story. You've never read this Bible story. When you heard, he was, heard he, Lazarus, we loves, was sick. He, dot, dot, dot. He, ellipse is what that's called, ellipse. Now, never read this story. What would you conclude? Because Jesus loved him and Lazarus is so sick. What would you think Jesus would do? You would think he ran, he hurried, he rushed. They commandeered chariots. They Ubered camels. I'll put the rest of the verse up right now. But here's what he did. It says, he stayed. He stayed. He delayed. He tarried. He remained two minutes. What's it say? What do you do when you need God to show up and God does not show up when you need him? Because there's somebody here right now It's where you are. Like, Jesus, hurry. Hurry, Jesus, hurry, because the eviction notice is on the door. Hurry, they just moved her to ICU, and the doctors say it's critical. Hurry, they called in hospice. Hurry, the divorce is final on Monday. Hurry, Jesus, hurry. And Jesus waits two days 
and he loves Lazarus. What the heck are you doing, Jesus? I mean, let me, let me help you understand the story. So the one who wrote this story is John. It's not John the Baptist, it's John the disciple. So John wrote this from the point of view of Jesus because he's with Jesus. Let's flip the script. Let's pretend like John is not with Jesus. Let's pretend like John's hanging out with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. What if he's in their home and it's taking place, right? What's he seen? He write down, and so the sisters, full of anxiety, uh, they're around the bed of their very sick brother, and they're encouraging Lazarus, hang in there. Lazarus, keep fighting. We got word to Jesus. The messengers came back. He heard, I know he's on his way. Keep fighting. Hang in there, brother. You know he loves you. You know he's coming. He doesn't come. He misses everything. He misses the healing. He misses the funeral. He misses the burial. And by the way, what the heck was Jesus doing that was so important? Whatever it was, the Bible doesn't say whatever it was. Whatever he did for two days, whatever that whatever was, it was so unimpressive that John didn't write down the whatever, and he was with Jesus. And it's a long story. And some of you have asked God to step into your reality to help you, to bless you, to heal you. And God didn't do it. You're like, whatever you're doing, God, it didn't help me. Am I helping you to humanize this story? So we take these Bible characters. I hate the term Bible characters. Characters are fictional. These are real people. But we treat them like they're spiritual superstars. They don't have issues and flaws and frustration and battle for faith. Please don't do that. I know when you see paintings, they all have halos. Everybody has halos, right? Jesus has a halo, and the angels have halos, and all the people, all the men have halos, all the women have halos, and all the donkeys have halos, and all the sheep have halos, and, right? No halos. In fact, where you see the emotion, the frustration, and the humanity is with Mary. When Jesus finally gets there, he shows up in verse 20. And when Martha hears that Jesus arrived, she runs to Jesus. She says, Lord, if you'd have been here sooner, my brother would not have died. Fact, declared a statement. But then she adds this, but I know even now, whatever you ask your father, he will give you. Wow. In her pain, in her anguish, you see the foundation of faith. Man, Martha's the bomb. But so is Mary. I don't want you to be too hard on Mary, because Mary's great. Mary in the Bible, she's the one that sat there at Jesus' feet, listened to Jesus. She loved Jesus. She worshiped Jesus. She's the one that took that vial of perfume that cost a year's wage. What do you make in one year? What's your salary? She took that much money and she broke it and anointed him, right? Oh my gosh, she was awesome. But this day when Jesus finally shows up, verse 28, right, when her, her sister runs, she just stays there. For eight verses, she just stays there. When she finally comes to Jesus, when he calls her by name, there ain't no perfume this time, no anointing this time, no worship this time. She just shows up with an attitude. My opinion, she drips with attitude. She says kind of the same things. She said, if you'd have been here sooner, my brother wouldn't have died. But none of that part about even now, blah, 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 what you ask God, no, 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 period. You're late. Where were you? I needed you. You missed everything. You do miracles for people who don't love you like me, pray like me, give like me. I'm sharing this to somebody right now. You're hurting and you're frustrated with God. You ask God to step into your situation. God did not step up how and when. 
and uh, you're here today and you have an attitude, thank you for coming to church with your attitude. I want you to come when you love God and you get the raise and you lay on the client and you make honor roll, that's great. I want you to come and you feel like rejoicing and praising and worshiping and studying God's word. You can't wait to get here, but sometimes it's more important to come, hang out in God's house with God's people. Sometimes it's more important to pray when you're mad, when you're ticked off, when you're frustrated. I wish I had more time. But bring your bad attitude to church. Tweet that if you will. Go ahead, bring, come just as you are. Don't feel like the need, you gotta put on that facade. You're all okay in the parking lot. We do not have sanctified asphalt right here. If you're fighting in the car, don't keep the fight going, but come here and bring God your frustration, bring God your heart. I like she's honest with God. So I wrote down why, why? It's one of the great questions. Why does it seem like Jesus is so late? And here are my three pathetic responses. Best I can come up with. Number one, maybe, maybe this seemed like too big a deal that Jesus couldn't resurrect the dead, that's too much power required from Jesus. Maybe he's just good at those little like party tricks like turning the water into wine. I'm about to show you, no, he has more than sufficient resurrection power. Maybe you think uh, God is uncaring. Oh my gosh, this is crushing me, but God, I guess you're busy, run the universe. In verse 35, it's the shortest verse in English. It simply says, when he saw how devastated the sisters were, when he saw them crying their eyes out, it says, Jesus wept. The Greek word is not, a little small tear came in the corner of his eye. The Savior sobbed. Brief verse, but brilliant. Staggering. The theological implications, because Jesus was almighty, sovereign, unlimited God in the flesh, crying with his children, his friends that hurt, knowing that in like five minutes, he's gonna save the day. When you weep, he weeps with you. When you hurt, he hurts with you. When you struggle, he sympathizes. It says in Hebrews, part of the beauty of the incarnation, that, that God becoming flesh, is that Jesus is our great high priest who can sympathize with our weakness. He understands every pain we go through as human beings. Jesus was rejected. Jesus was fatigued. Jesus was misunderstood. Jesus was lied about. Jesus was betrayed. He understands. He gets us. I gotta move on because you're listening way too slowly right now. Verse 33, verse 33, check this out. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews had come along with her weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit, troubled. Where? One more time. One, two, three. Where have you laid him? God wants, show me where. God wants to know where. Where did you have that funeral for your faith? Where did you give up? Where's the sepulcher of your sin, the tomb of your trauma, the place of your pain? Where did your dream die? Where did you bury your hope? Don't hide that from God, bring that to God. And what will God do? I love the next phrase, we're gonna drop all the way down for the sake of time to verse 39, verse 39. Look at these first four words, they are staggering. This shows the power of God. I want you to read these like you mean it already. One, two, three. Roll away the stone. See, the Jews didn't bury people in the ground, the graves. Uh, they'd use caves and repurpose caves as tombs. And the way they'd seal the tomb was a large rock, a big stone. It could weigh hundreds of pounds sometimes. And so was, once, that, once that stone fell into place, that meant game over. The stone represented the finality of death. Unless you're Jesus. 
Oh, you think it's game over? You think it's taking knee? It's all done? And it's, it's not done till I say it's done. Roll that stone. Get that stone out of here. Get that stone. Jesus could screw up a good funeral, man. Martha objects. Uh, 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 Lord, uh, the dead man's sister said, Lord, he's already, there's already a stench because he's been dead four days. Uh, so he's not just dead. This is so cool. He's not just like a little dead. He's a lot dead. Uh, he's decomposing. The Jews are not embalmed like the Egyptians, so he's, he's decaying already, right? There's gonna be a stench. Isn't it incredible? Our God is not offended by the ugliest part of our life. He's not, he will step into the stench of your shame and your secret sin if you allow him with healing and resurrected power, that, that thing you're trying to hide right now, if you'll invite him in, look what he will do. And quickly, we're out of time. So let me jump to the, the happy ending. Let's go to verse, uh, verse next. I think it's verse, shoot, guys, 43. Thank you. And, and, and when he had thus spoken, I want King James here. I like King James in this one. When he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, that was pretty good, but he said a loud voice. Ready? One, two, three. Lazarus, come forth. And when he had, and when that, and when that, and with that, the dead man came forth, bound hand and foot with the grave clothes and his face bound with a napkin. He looked like the mummy in a Brandon Fraser movie. He came out, he couldn't strut out. He's like, can't even see. So what did Jesus say? Uh, Jesus saith unto them, loose him and let him go. I just highlighted that because that's God's agenda for your life. He wants to loose you and let you go. God's all about your freedom. God wants to emancipate you holistically. He wants to set you free in every good way you can be. See, so maximum freedom is found under the canopy of divine authority. But I love, man, when Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. I'm gonna close with this idea. So I believe in something called the inerrancy of scripture. I don't use a lot of theological jargon, but here's one word that's really good. It means that God put every word in your Bible there on purpose. There are no typos and God never stutters. And so when God inspired John to write down what Jesus said, Lazarus come forth, I think he meant every word, come forth and also the proper pronoun, Lazarus. Why? To show us that Jesus is good with names. He's good with names. But I think the reason he said Lazarus was not just him being personal, it was an intentional limitation on his unlimited resurrection power. Stay with me. If he just would have said, come forth, I think there would have been a worldwide, global resurrection of every dead believer from Adam till that present day. I think if he they just said, come forth, not specifying just Lazarus, every believer throughout history would have erupted from their tombs and come back from their graves. And because I had two weeks to work in this sermon, I started thinking about what would that even look like? What kind of beautiful divine chaos would that cause in heaven if Jesus had come forth? Because then everybody in heaven had to come forth in that moment. Can you imagine in heaven, right, just before he said that, I don't know, uh, Moses is having a conversation with Elijah. They're talking about miracles. Oh, Moses, that, that miracle of the Red Sea, that was the bomb, Moses. That was incredible. Man, really, it says in the Bible, the people walked across on dry land. No one got their sneakers scuffed or dirty. That was amazing. That was what, and then the frog, the frog miracle. I love the frog miracle. That's that a great touch there, Moses. But 
How about you, Moses? How about you, Elijah? I love when you stood one man of God against 950 pagan prophets and you cried out to God in that brilliant brief prayer to send fire from heaven and fire came down. That miracle was... Excuse me, Elijah. Do, do you hear that? Do you hear that? I just heard the king say, come forth. We'll have to finish the story later. We got to go right now because the king said, come forth. Every man or woman of faith who had died before this moment would erupt from their tomb. Imagine, I don't know, uh, Isaiah and Solomon talking about the wisdom of God's word. Uh, imagine, I don't know, Jonah and, and Noah swapping boat stories, I guess. Wow, what was it like being with all those animals as it rained 40 days and 40 nights? I don't know, how about that great fish that swallowed? What was that great fish? Was that a blue whale? Was that an orca? Was that a great white shark? Oh, I'm glad you asked it. Was it? Did you hear that? Did you hear Jesus say, come forth? Let's put a pin in this. We gotta pick this up because we got to go right now. It's Joshua, Jeremiah talking battle strategies. It's Ezekiel and Isaiah talking about uh, last day's theology. It's people, whatever they were doing in heaven, they had to stop because they had to leave in that sacred moment. It's Daniel and Deborah playing dominoes. It's, it's Rahab and Rebecca putting down their paddles playing pickleball. It's Samuel stopping his shuffleboard, right? No matter what they're doing, they had to stop. David writing worship music, hanging out to his best friends, uh, Jonathan, practicing his bow with his BFF, so it's true, best friends forever. Stop in that moment because Jesus said, come forth. It's uh, Benaiah, Samson, pumping iron in the gym, working out. Samson drops his dumbbell and said, yo, yo, I think I heard, I think I heard the king call our name. We got to do triceps tomorrow because the king said, come forth, we got to go. It's Absalom, had that beautiful head full of hair, Absalom. He's at the barber getting his fade on and the barber has to drop his clippers because guess what? The Lord said, it is time to come forth. It's, it's his own dad, Joseph. We're not sure about this, but Joseph shows up nowhere after age 12. He surely died prematurely. So Jesus, hey, single moms, spent a lot of his growing up years as a teenager in a single parent home. Joseph dies prematurely and he's been in heaven. What's he doing? He's building stuff. He's a carpenter, right? He's in the best carpenter shop of all time, the heavenly carpenter shop. He's hanging out with Nehemiah, the wall builder, right? They're talking about building stuff and construction ideas. And all of a sudden Joseph says, that's my boy's, that's my boy's voice. Jesus, I have not heard his voice in these many years. He's saying, come forth, Nehemiah. I'm about to see my son. I'm about to see Mary again. I'm about to see the brothers and sisters. We got to go right now. Jesus has said it would have been an explosion of resurrection power as all these dead people come back to life. They don't look like mummies or zombies. They have beautiful resurrection bodies. I can't wait to see my resurrection body someday. I'm gonna be jacked like Vitor Belfort. I'll be six foot three tall. I'm gonna have abs. I'm gonna have hair like Fabio and a voice like James Earl Jones. And every saint who went ahead of us, preceded us in death, if we're still on the earth and this happens, we will meet in the sky. So my dad who sat in that corner seat right there every weekend and five years ago went to heaven, I won't just see Jesus, I'll see him. This is not a fairy tale or a myth. This is what the King promises. Does he know your name? Has he called your name? 
He's calling your name today. This is your day, your day of salvation. If you'll say yes to his name, the name and the only name by which men are saved, the scripture says, there'll be a day when death will not have the final word. Because if Jesus tarries and I die, you'll read in the obituary that David Hughes passed away, that he's dead, he's no more. Guess what, the paper's wrong. I'll be more alive than I ever have been. Because his life in Jesus is not just about this life, it's the life to come. Because when the sisters were devastated and crying their eyes out, talking about the resurrection of the future, Jesus said in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believes in me, though dead, yet shall he live. You can bank on everything that Jesus said because he's the Lord of life and the Lord of death. Now, I love that you're standing and you're clapping. That's great. But when I say amen, when the service is done, if you don't know for certain and sure you're saved, you come to a prayer partner and you nail it down today. And you walk out of here with confidence that God's your heavenly Father. And if you live another 80 years, another eight minutes, you'll spend forever with Him in glory. I wanna pray for you. Father God, this is so serious right now. This is not just life or death. This is eternal business. In this realm, no matter how much faith we have, we go through pain. We go through loss. We lose people we love to death. But you're the Lord of life and the Lord of death. In Jesus, there will be a resurrection of the faithful who've called upon your name. Help people make bold decisions and wise moves. We make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. We hope you enjoyed the podcast today. To hear more messages like this, make sure you subscribe and share with your friends. Don't forget to stay connected with us by following us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at CV Glades at Pastor D Hughes.